So listen, we, you know, we've, uh, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and just meddle around in there a little bit and, and try to unpack some of this. Um, I don't know where, what kind of background you come from. You know, I was in, we were in Next Steps here this week, and I think we had like six people in Next Steps. And on the third one, we talk about spiritual gifts a little bit. And I had a conversation with some of them, and I asked them, because, you know, as a pastor, you get all angles. I don't know if you realize that or not. And we've got people that are like, like as far Pentecostal holiness in here as you can go, and then as far Reformed Baptist on the other side as you can go. Now, me personally, I think that's awesome, as long as we can maintain unity. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's a great thing as long as we can maintain unity. But, but, but people, people have different backgrounds and different ideas and different concepts. And, uh, and I really do believe that we got to rely on each other. I think, I think there's some things that I disagree with that, if I'm being honest, they keep me in balance. If that makes it, it pulls me just to say, Clay, Clay don't get too crazy, you know, or, or whatever. Because, and, and so we need one another. Our disagreements will help refine us in different things like that. But I, I had asked uh, some of these people in Next Steps, because we had talked about the gifts of the Spirit, and then we, I preached on it some Sunday. I asked them, I said, have you all ever heard of cessationism? How many ever heard of cessationism? Anybody? So really not even that much, honestly, yeah. Uh, but, but, but I just assumed everybody heard of it, and they haven't. What it, what it means is that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, and there's a, there's a small camp in the church that, that believe that the gifts have ceased. But what is really interesting is that camp is growing increasingly smaller as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And really, I think even the people that believed it before are seeing that they really don't have a biblical argument for it. And so they're starting to open up and realize and what they'll say is things like, well, you know, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are real. We just haven't ever operated in them. You know, you ever heard people say that? I hear, I hear a lot of those guys that are kind of making the switch over and saying, well, you know, all right, we can't deny it. They're real, but we ain't never experienced none of it, so it's hard for us to say for sure or not. And here's what I want to say is that when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you've got to understand that you have a responsibility to desire and pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you, look, if you, and I said, I said this Sunday morning, if you don't want the move of the Holy Spirit, He will not move on you. And I'm not saying that he can't, and I'm not saying that he won't. There are, there, God is sovereign. He can move on anybody anytime that he wants to. But you've got to understand that in Scripture, he's put things in place. Do you know that it says that he who comes to God must come in faith, because, knowing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? He says, if you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door will be open. He didn't say if you sit outside the door and wait, I'll open the door and pour something on you. He said, if you knock on the door, it'll be opened and you can come in. If you, if you ask, you're going to receive these things. So, so he puts these stipulations in there to try to bring us into this. But it's our responsibility. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says it like this. Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he says, and yet I show to you a more excellent way. So that word desire is where we get zealot from. He said, I want you to be zealous for these things. One translation says, I want you to covet spiritual gifts, but he says, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And you transition into 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. And we know that he says, look, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, if you have prophecy and all knowledge and, and you can do all these things, but you don't have love, it's nothing, right? We all agree on that. If you don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit out of love, you got nothing. You're a clanging gong and all that jazz. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we agree with that. 
Character is far more important than the gifts of the Spirit. We agree with that. But I, as I say all the time, if you pass by on the road and you see a $100 bill and a $5 bill, which one are you going to pick up? You're going to pick up both of them. Amen. I've, tra I've trained you well. I have trained you well. So you can't just say, well, love and joy and peace is what really matters, Clay. Yeah, they matter, but this is in the book for a reason. It's not like God said, you know what, it's not that big a, it's not that big a deal, it's not very important, but we'll put it in the book just in case somebody's like, just, you know, whatever. So he says, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. One pastor I talked to said this to me. He said, Clay, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are good, but see, love is, is a far more excellent way. Right? He's not saying that love is better than the gifts per se. What he's saying is love is better than earnestly desiring the gifts. My point being is that one of the ways to manifest the gifts of the Spirit are to seek God and ask Him for them. Pray, fast, desire, long for it. Create opportunities for God to move in your life and take risks and steps of faith to pray for people in public, to do radical things like that. That's earnestly desiring the gifts. But the second best way for them to manifest is because you deeply love people. God is waiting on people to love others so much that they go to them in need, and when they show up to minister to them in need, he says, well, now they're there. I can manifest a gift in their life because that person's in need. So when we think about the gift of spirit, what we're not thinking about is we're trying to put on some kind of sensational show here in the church house where everybody says, wow, that's amazing. Even though that might happen, praise the Lord, that's not what the gifts are given for. The gifts are given because humanity is broken and needs salvation. Amen. And so we see a lot of people that aren't saved, a lot of broken people, man, that honestly, if the gifts of the Spirit were manifesting in full power, I'm telling you, a lot more people would get saved. I believe that. 14.1, he says it like this, Pursue love then and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So this is a command of Scripture. And let me tell you something. We don't pray about the commands of Scripture. Like it's, like, it's like, okay, I could, read, I could read to you, flee sexual immorality. Who's going to say to me, well, Clay, I don't know if that's for me or not. I'll go pray about it. But how is it that we'll do that with that scripture? We know that's a commandment. We don't, we don't, it's not even something that we're to pray about whether or not we should seek it. But then when it comes to spiritual gifts, most people are like, well, that's for that church. They're the crazy charismatics. No, it's for every church, the entire church, the, the body as a whole. He's saying, I want you to desire the outpouring of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and have these gifts in operation in your body and in your life that you are to desire them. It's a command of Scripture. And so you can't have the attitude, you know, some people say, well, Clay, I've, I've never seen it, and if God wants to give me that, He'll just give it to me. Au contraire. The, the K-sera, sera attitude, my dad used to sing K-sera, sera to me every now and then, he, but he was always joking around and saying, like, y'all know what K-sera, sera means, right? It means whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Whatever will be. That's good, isn't it? Man. So, get your guitar down. Let's go back into that. Uh, but now we ain't going to sing that on Sunday mornings because that's a terrible attitude. It's not a biblical attitude. A biblical attitude is that we are seekers of God. We're passionately pursuing God. And no, God ain't just going to drop on you a gift of the Spirit if He wants to. He has put a commandment in Scripture. Here's the way I, that, I, that, I, that I wrote it down earlier. We should never expect God to do for us, apart from prayer, what He has promised in His Word to do for us only through prayer. There are things that God has promised to us 
And he will reward us only if we seek him, desire it, and ask him for it. He will not give us things that he has said, hey, I got a prescription for you here. I give you this if you seek me for it and ask me for it and earnestly desire it. And then we say, well, he'll give it to us if he wants to. No, he's asking you to ask, seek, knock, desire, long for it. And this, you, have, you have to come to this, this realization because if you go home and you hear a message on the gifts of the Spirit, but tomorrow when you're out in public, you're not saying, Lord, use me today. It probably ain't going to happen. You have to have this awareness that you're walking with the Holy Spirit, that you're open to Him. And I'm telling you, so often the gifts of the Spirit show up when you're in a really a spiritual emergency. And what I mean by that is you're going to be out in public and you're not necessarily... Like you don't get to pick when the Holy, when the Holy Spirit uses you. I wish I did, you know what I mean? Because I'd just turn it on. Like I'd be in the mall, I'd be like, boom, turn on healing right now. I'm going to go lay... Wouldn't that be great? But that's not how it works. You put yourself and you step out on faith and you say, God, I'm ministering to the broken, I'm ministering to the lost. I mean, how many people are praying, God, help me witness to somebody today? How many people are actually praying that right now, you know? Help me witness. Help me win one lost person to you, Lord. And the reason that we don't see it happen a lot is probably because we're not asking. We have not because we ask not. And a lot of times we ask not. I'll add to it. We ask not because we believe not. We don't even believe in any of this stuff. We don't even believe God can use us in a powerful way or, or give us an utterance where we can speak to somebody where the secrets of their heart are revealed and, and things are opened up or, or God could even lead us. I mean, I don't, I don't know what happened with the people that lifted their hands with depression not, but I have just a little small impression. You know what? There's some people in here depressed. I want them to be lifted. I want them to experience joy. What I could have easily done is say, well, that felt like me and not the Lord. How many, how many often do you, well, I don't know if it's the Lord or me. Do you know this, that the Bible says that you and the Lord have become one in spirit. So when it's him, it's going to feel like you. And when it's you, it might be him. Because you're one now in spirit. And oftentimes you will say and do things if you're flowing in the Holy Spirit that feel like it's nothing more than just you. But the Lord is on the inside of you. And let me tell you something, the Lord ain't going to send you to go witness to a lost person or pray for a sick, or, or the devil ain't, the Lord will. But you know what I'm saying? You can't sit back and say, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't know if it's the Lord or me. You have to take a risk. You have to step out in faith. You have to move after these things. But when the gifts are given, understand this, they're given to build up the body. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, and 13, it says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, because the Corinthian church, man, they were zealous for spiritual gifts. They loved spiritual gifts. He says, but let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying the purpose of the gifts. Now, cessationists will say that the purpose of the gifts was signs to prove that it was real, but now it's done. Well, Paul just already stomped that in the ground because he said that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to edify the church. And the church still exists. So it wasn't just, even though it did launch them into, in, into spreading the gospel worldwide, it's not over yet. We're still seeking to spread the gospel worldwide. And part of the reason it's not spreading as powerfully as it should is because we gave up on believing in the power of God and we just got a bunch of good arguments in a sea of other arguments. And this is why people will say, well, you know, Clay, there's all these different religions and how do I know yours is any different? I should be able to say because we've got the power of God. And our God is more powerful than your God. And he can heal the sick. 
And he can set you free from depression. And he can deliver you from anxiety. As a matter of fact, there are moments when he may even reveal the very secrets of your heart. And so we're dealing with all these things, and he says, but it's got to be done for the edification of the church because the Corinthians, see, they were being used in the gifts tremendously, and they were eager for them. You know, here's the thing. When people get crazy in spiritual gifts, you know what I try to do? I try to ignore them for a season. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just telling you what I do. <laughs> like, I don't, actually, biblically, I don't think it is right. Biblically, here's what Paul did. He walks into a church, the Corinthian church, and they're losing their minds. I mean, everybody in there, shabba-habba-laba. You know what I'm talking about? Just everybody in tongues. And he walks in and he says, all right, they're zealous. They're on fire for God. I mean, these people over here are getting healed. These people over here are doing this. And everybody's speaking in tongues. What he didn't say was, y'all need to chill out. You're going overboard. What he did say was, no, you're doing good. You need to continue to be zealous for the gifts. You need to continue to be open to God moving. But what you need to do is get some protocol in here. You need to bring some order into your zealousness for the gifts. And so what the Corinthians love, see, here's, the, here's, here's was one of the big problems with Corinthians. He, said, he told them, he said, you need to seek earnestly what? The higher gifts. What they were doing were they were elevating lower gifts. And the lower gifts specifically, if you read, anybody did do their homework this week, don't raise your hand. I don't want to call you out. But if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, chapter 14 is literally what we said, pretty much tongues and prophecy protocol in the church. And he says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So they're, they're privately praying in tongues. They are building themselves up. But then he says, he who prophesies edifies the church. And so you could even argue that right then there was a little bit of a prophetic word about depression. And, and this going forth. And not only that, but the Lord said that there were these thoughts in your mind that the, devil been, that the devil himself had been planting thoughts in your mind. Maybe that was you. Maybe You know what I'm saying? Maybe it wasn't. But that, that, that God wanted to lift that up off of you. So, so you're dealing with a, with a prophetic type of a word there, right? And that comes to edify the church. He says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. He says, y'all don't need to be speaking in tongues, everybody in here. So he says, if you do that, when they come in, they're going to say, y'all are crazy. And they will, won't they? They will. Matter of fact, if we were all speaking in tongues in here tonight, there'd probably be at least half in here that would say, these people are crazy, we ain't going back to church there. That's why Paul said, you know what? I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. And he was saying, all y'all put together. He said, I speak in tongues more than all y'all Corinthians. And they were all speaking in tongues. That means that Paul spoke in tongues a lot. But he said how he did it, he did it in private to God, speaking mysteries unto God to build himself up, to strengthen himself. And he said, but when I come to the church, I'm not speaking in tongues because I need y'all to understand what I'm saying. And then he said, so then you need to seek to edify the church. So if somebody does speak in tongues, let it be interpreted so that the church can receive edification. Otherwise, all they're doing is, is hearing you speak in what seems to them to be gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. And so they had elevated tongues as a badge of honor, you know, and they're just going around speaking in tongues on everybody. It's like, it was like, I, I'm, I'm more spiritual than you. Listen, I, some of the most unspiritual persons I have ever met speak in tongues a lot. Somebody amen me, right? I've met, I've met some of the most unspiritual per people ever, and they speak in tongues a whole lot. So tongues doesn't necessarily make you more spiritual. It's a gift given to a person that they can edify themselves. And then, of course, in the church, you know, or in, in meetings like this. That's like I said before, if I have my preferences, 
tongues and interpretation on a Sunday morning, it's a hard thing to navigate because you got all kinds of visitors and stuff like that. And a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it edifies the church more or actually pulls it down more sometimes. You, have, you actually have to discern what's going on in your body. That you have to discern what's going on in your body. Like in your small, we've had small groups before. I remember when we talked on this before, and Jeremy manifested a gift of tongues in a small group. And there's just like 12 of us there or something. It was the perfect fit because everybody was able to receive it. If I've got 30 people, new people on a Sunday morning though, and they come in and we speak in tongues and we don't have time to t tell them what's going on because they ain't never even read the Bible, much less 1 Corinthians. You know what I'm saying? It becomes more difficult. So you have to understanding, and this, this is why sometimes I'm as Pentecostal as the next person when it comes to a lot of these beliefs. Man, I believe in the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, but Paul is giving protocol and order so that he's understanding like sometimes we're evangelizing and we got to be open to the uninformed or unlearned or they're going to say you're crazy and you've shut off any opportunity to actually reach them with the gospel. But once you bring a body of believers in and they are informed and they understand what's going on, you can edify one another with these gifts. Matter of fact, we, we were praying after service not long ago, and we were praying for Jeremy, and there was a tongue in interpretation. But see, it was quiet, didn't freak everybody out in the church. Like, it was good. Now, I'm going to say this. In settings like this, I'm cool with it. You know what I'm saying? I think this is a good setting. It's more intimate. Wednesday nights, you got your serious people. I, I hope this makes sense. Does this make some sense? Because, because you got to understand that you're trying to do two things. I remember when I, I was so zealous for the spiritual gifts that, son, I thought, I, I remember thinking it was a badge of honor. I would speak in tongues, dude, and if anybody come in, if my friend come in, I might speak in tongues beside him just to freak him out a little bit. <laughs> and you know what happened with those guys, though? They didn't come back to church. I couldn't reach them. And so you, you want to have a church where you can reach people, but at the same time you are wisely operating in the manifestation of the Spirit. And so he says... Let everything done, be done for edification. It's all about the building up of the church. And that's really an indicator if it's a good manifestation of the Spirit or not. Is it building people up? Is it strengthening people? Is it encouraging people? And until you really have a body of believers that's taught, you're leaving half the people behind. And it's hard for them to be edified because they don't get it yet. So my point is you've got to discern where, you're at, where your body is. For this body, they already all, all knew it. So he said, when you meet together, let two or three speak in tongues, let another interpret. So I, I hope that makes sense. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to ignore them, and I don't want you to not have knowledge about them. He said, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these voiceless idols, or dumb idols. It's really voiceless. However you were led, therefore... I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, he says that there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That word gifts, y'all ever heard uh, the word charismatic, right? Yeah, and, and, and so they'll say, well, what kind of church is that? Well, they're a charismatic church. And it doesn't mean that they're just, hey, fellas, what's up? It doesn't mean like they're charismatic like that. It means that they believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And here's the thing. So when somebody says charismatic, charis is the, is the Greek word for grace. Ma is the Greek word for gift. Ta is plural. So it's literally grace gifts. 
But it's translated here, spiritual gifts is what they translate it to. So it's grace gifts. What that means is, is that the gifts of the Spirit can be given to you simply because you ask for them and desire them. And I know a lot of times people will operate and give us the Spirit and be like, boys, I don't know about that guy right there. He's a little bit rough on the edges. Surely God wouldn't use that dude right there in a, in a spiritual gift. See, it's a grace gift. It's not something that you have earned or deserved. You're just simply an open, willing vessel saying, God, I know I ain't much, but just use me, please. It's a grace gift. And so you don't have to be super mega holy and spiritual, even though that does help. I think it helps. I think that the more character that we begin to walk in, I do think that God can entrust us with more. I tell you all the time, the reason I don't go around healing everybody in here is because the Lord probably knows that I'd get so puffed up in pride, I'd have you being bowed down at my I'd come in here wearing a white suit next week. <laughs> do it. So... In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says this. It says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So that means that the manifestation of the Spirit will be given to each one of you, the Bible says, individually as the Spirit wills. So you don't ever want to say, okay, well, I've got this gift or I've got that gift. I'm telling you, you don't know what gift you really have. I remember, I remember when the Lord first started using me in spiritual gifts. He used me in tongues. And if I'm being honest, I was kind of upset about it because I was like, man, give me a cooler gift than that, God. Uh, but he started using me in the gift of tongues. And, and I, honestly, I got used quite often when it first. And one day, probably uh, two years after I'd been used in this gift, I don't know, several times, and it would be interpreted because we were in a setting where it was free. Like you just, you spoke in tongues and somebody would interpret it, no big deal, because it was a church that had cultivated that environment and said, this is what we're going after. And really, they said, we don't even care if nobody else likes it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just doing this. And that was kind of their attitude. And, and more power to them. So I would get in that, and, and two years into it, all of a sudden, it switched, and, and it was like I went probably a, a month or two where nothing was happening, and I was praying, Lord, did you, you leave me? Like, you ain't going to use me in the gifts. Did I grieve the Spirit? Like, what did I do? And then all of a sudden, one day I'm in a service, and somebody else speaks in tongues, and when they spoke in tongues, boom, boom, I had the interpretation. Just like that, just switched. So, so, and then I never gave a message in tongues again. I don't know why. I asked the Holy Spirit. So I could go around saying, well, I have the gift of tongues. Now, I don't think I do. Who I do have is the Holy Spirit who can choose to use me how he wants to any time that he wants to. So that literally in your lifetime, you could be used in every gift of the Spirit because it's necessary in the moment if you're open to it. So nobody really has that particular gift, even though... In seasons, it seems like God does use people in those particular gifts more than others. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody manifests gifts of healings. Not everybody manifests the working of miracles. Not everybody operates in prophecy. Not everybody is functioning in this. And it's on purpose because he actually says so that we can become dependent on one another as a body. So that none of us get too caught up in, that's the man of God right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a big thing in Pentecostal circles. It's like that dude has the anointing and the rest of us are peons that are just out here listening to the... That's not true. Matter of fact, here's what I believe. I believe that some people, you know, a lot of people come into the church setting and they're like, man, I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't sing and play music. I'm worthless. 
And do you know that in, in the Bible, really, the preaching and teaching part was a pretty big deal, but honestly, a lot of the singing and stuff wasn't even that big a deal. Like, they would sing some, but it, it wasn't as big a deal as we make it out to be. What was a bigger deal was functioning in all of the gifts that were listed, and really, singing was not even one of them. Interesting, isn't it? And I'm not putting down singing. It's important, isn't it? We believe that it is. We believe worshiping it. I mean, it's biblical too. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. In the old covenant, you got him doing it. But I, I guess my point is, is that you've got all of these gifts and they're open and available for everyone and we need to be open to God doing it. Now, the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the only time it talks about that in, that, is in this verse, the manifestation of the Spirit, right? The word... Is, is, it means something that was once hidden that's suddenly revealed. Now, here's how it works with me, and I think I could, I know, I know people who have been using gifts of the Spirit, and it's different for everybody, but for the most part, like people would say, uh, you know, when, when, when the Spirit manifests, like say for a gift of the Spirit, man, their head gets hot sometimes. When you say, yeah, your heart starts pounding. And I tell people all the time, it's really how you know the manifestation of the Spirit. One is when you first got convicted, if your heart was pounding, and you said, man, I need to get saved. Right there he is. That's the manifestation. You feel him. It's, it's physical. And you, and you know what's going on with the manifestation of the Spirit. You feel it. You, you have a strong urge, a strong impression, and you know, okay, well, that's given to you. Why? For the profit of everyone. So when he comes upon you in a manifestation, guess what? It's probably not for you. It's because he's wanting to use you to minister to somebody else. And he says when that happens, you might get a word of knowledge. You might get a word of wisdom. You may get discerning of spirits, right? These, the, the, the prophecy, you may, God may want you to lay hands on somebody to, to, to manifest a gift of healing in their body in that moment. But you learn to discern that. And it's so important, that word manifest is a, is a, Sometimes I get made fun of for talking about Greek words, but I'm going to tell you another one. Phanerosis, okay? And the reason I talk about them is because I know where they're at in other places in the Bible. And in Matthew 6, it says that if you pray in secret, your heavenly Father will reward you openly. The word openly is the same word, phanerosis. He rewards you with a manifestation. He rewards you openly. In other words, when you pray to God in secret, when you fast to God in secret, even when you give in secret, he says he will, re will reward you manifestly. And I believe when you pray and you fast and you seek God and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm desiring gifts. I want you to use me. What you're going to run into is all of a sudden you're going to be out in a public place. And all of a sudden you're going to look at a dude and boo, and you're going to say, man, I wish I hadn't prayed for that. <laughs> because now I feel the Lord wanting to use me. Because that'll be your initial response when the Lord wants to use you. You'll say, oh, Lord, I didn't, I didn't really think you'd use me. I mean, I ain't trying to go over here and talk about this person to the gospel and maybe even step out and try to prophesy. That's a little bit crazy. I mean, I was raised Baptist. I know how it goes in your mind. I've been there. And so when you're discovering spiritual gifts, you know, we do next steps, and, and we used to have a big 100-question spiritual gifts test, and I just tore that out of the book because it aggravates me. And here's why it aggravates me. Because what happens is people will take a test, and here's the thing, if they've never operated in a spiritual gift, it ain't going to show up on the test. So we're going to limit you to what you haven't experienced? Heck no. 
We're going to say there's all sorts of stuff available for you. And that spiritual gifts test is going to lock you into a reality that may not even be what God wants to call you into. Listen, public speaking or preaching before, if I'd have took, taken the test when I was 18, I would not have tested positively for it. It would not have come up on the radar. It would have probably said, Clay, you ain't got no gifts. Sit in the corner and be quiet. So you don't want to limit yourself to a test that you take. You want to step out in faith. Here, here's how you discover your spiritual gifts. You pray, you fast, you seek God, you say, Lord, I want it, you ask for it. But then you go to a place where you start to take risky steps. You got to. You got to take risky steps. Like, I mean, me just saying, hey, anybody in here, that's a risky step, isn't it? What if nobody lifts their hand? If everybody says, Clay's a weirdo. You know that when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, there's room for grace for one another. Like, you can miss it. We've had people in here. I remember one time, Ty Finn, where's Ty Finn? Is he in here tonight? There he is back there. Ty Finn, every time he gives a word, he'll be like, he'll be like, this might sound crazy. <laughs> so he's giving you forewarning. That this, it, but here's what I found about Ty Finn is you, usually when he has, says he has a word from the Lord, he's got a word from the Lord. So the other day, and because people get wigged out about prophecy, right? They think, oh, man, this is, I don't know about that. That's a, we're not talking about the canon of Scripture. When somebody in here prophesies, it is not on the level of this. So let me just take that, let me just let you know that. When anybody prophesies, it, is, it don't go in the Bible. It don't have the same authority as the Bible. Matter of fact, when somebody prophesies, Paul said you need, to, you need to let two or three prophesy, or actually he said you may all prophesy one by one. And he said, let another judge. You got to judge it. Well, if it's, if it's God, why would you have to judge it? Well, because he's human. And the Holy Spirit's flowing through a flawed vessel. That's why sometimes when the gifts of the Spirit manifest, they get weird sometimes. And somebody has to step in and say, hey, we're just going to set that aside. We're not sure if that was the Lord. Let's not get in a tiz about it. But everybody freaks out. I told somebody the other day, I cannot understand why people will get so tore up over tongues, but they'll go home and watch violence and pornography on TV. And you're getting tore up over tongues? You get tore up over what you watch on TV, son. Oh, I just went after it right then. Somebody, somebody give me a yeah, clap on it. I'll get holiness on y'all here in a second. Oh, man. I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit on that. Matter of fact, I felt the Holy Ghost on that. So where was I? Getting tore up over it. I need to come back. Ask. So, so, so here's the thing. You're going to take risks. You know, you're in a small group. What I would do, sometimes we do this. We do something called the hot seat. We've done it here before. If I'm in a small group or we're in a group of people, we'll put a seat up. We'll say, hey, anybody got any sickness they're dealing with? They say, yeah, I'm dealing with this, this, or this. Sit in the hot seat. Ask God to impart a gift of healing to somebody in that house. Wait on the Lord a minute. Give him space because sometimes you get so nervous that what you do is you just, you pray really, really quick and then you step back and be like, all right, let's move on, let's move on. No, no, no awkward silences. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Give him space to move. And then say, Lord, impart to us a gift of healing because this person needs healing. You know that the Lord wants that person healed. 
And we don't know all the ins and outs of it. All I know is the Bible says it, and it says to lay hands on the sick. And so you've got to take that step of faith to lay hands on the sick and to pray for healing and ask God to impart that. So you have to take that. So you, my, my point is there's some of y'all probably got a gift of healing that God wants to manifest through you, but you won't lay hands on nobody. Amen. I know I'm being rough, but this is going to help you. I'm, you know, the Bible says to stir one another, stir one another up to good works. Secondly, what if you come across somebody that's burdened or depressed? Just like we said, we got brothers and sisters that are, what if I come across a friend that's burdened and depressed? Rather than say, well, I don't have that spiritual gift, let me call Pastor Clay, maybe he can call them. Anybody? No. What you need to say is, Lord, I'm going to take a step of faith. You can use me just like you can use anybody else, and I'm going to take that person out for coffee. I'm going to hear what they've got to say, and I'm going to ask you to impart to me a gift. Maybe he just gives you a Romans 12 gift of mercy, or maybe he gives you a Romans 12 gift of, of, of encouragement where you just encourage that brother or sister and you strengthen them. Maybe they're dealing with a financial difficulty, and he moves your heart, and he gives you the gift of generosity in that moment, and you say, you know what, I'm going to write you a $200 check. I want to help you out in this situation. But either way, you've stepped out and God uses you and maybe he gives you a supernatural gift where all of a sudden you get an image in your mind of something that they've been dealing with and you speak to them and it opens the secrets of their heart and they start to pour out their heart and then you pray for them and they're set free. I've seen it happen. Does it happen every time? No, it doesn't. But I know it ain't going to happen if you don't call them and sit down and talk to them and pray with them. So there's all these things that are at our disposal, but we have to take those steps of faith to move into it. What if, what if you got a friend that's battling temptation? You need to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a word of wisdom for him. Give me something that I can speak. Maybe it's a scripture. And notice, God will bring a scripture to your mind. If you're praying in the morning, this happens to me a lot. If you're praying in the morning and you're just open, and people say, well, Clay, why in the world would you pray in tongues? How long? Y'all ever tried to pray in English for over an hour? You run out of stuff to stay. It gives you a wonderful gift that honestly makes your mind a blank canvas. And what I found is I'm edifying myself. I'm uttering mysteries in the Spirit unto God based upon 1 Corinthians 14. Ain't nobody around hearing me. I ain't freaking nobody out except maybe the angels or demons that are listening to me. The demons probably don't care for it. But it's just me and the Lord. I'm uttering mysteries on the Lord. And what I notice is my mind becomes a blank canvas. You would be amazed at how many scriptures and how many sermons. The Lord has given me outlines to sermons while I've been praying in the Spirit. And when I'm praying in the Spirit, somebody might come to my mind and I'll start praying for them in English. But then I don't have anything to pray anymore, but I won't spend some more time with the Lord. I don't want to limit my time with the Lord to how much I can pray in English because that gets old. I won't pray a little bit in English, but he said, that's what Paul said. He said, I'll pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. Right? And so, so I have that and, I, and I'm letting my mind become that blank canvas and he's downloading things into my mind, so to speak, and he's giving me this. So the other thing that you got to do is you got to look for people to serve. God will most likely manifest his gifts in us when we are serving his children. When we're saying, Lord, it ain't about me. I don't know that he wants to impart gifts to people who want to be elevated. I think it's when people want to take a step down in humility and say, I want to serve others, that you see the gifts really start manifesting. Some of the most notable miracles, according to Scripture in Acts, was given to a man named Stephen who was simply serving women who needed clothing and food. 
And it says he did signs and wonders among the people. And so you see that going on. Now, let's talk about this real quick because when we talk about prophecy, like I said, it's not on the same, it's not on the same level as the, as the Bible. But 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that he who prophesies, right, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So it means that it, when you prophesy, you build somebody up, you encourage them, and you comfort them. So how many of y'all you've ever experienced a real, real weird prophecy? I told you that there are like three, three women, you know, or three young ladies that got prophesied that they were all going to marry me. So we know that wasn't the Lord, right? I, t- I, t- I, tell this, I tell the story all the time about the guy that was in church and somebody went by and the woman was kind of doing this, you know, and acting all whatever. And she went up to him and she put her hand on him. She said, tie, tie, tie. There is trouble in thy marriage. She even threw a little King James on it. He said, well, you must have got the wrong pew because I ain't married. <laughs> right? It happens, doesn't it? This is why prophecy needs to be judged. That, and two, that wasn't edifying, was it? Did, did that encourage him? Lord, no. If there's trouble in thy marriage, then give me a word from the Lord that's going to tell me how to fix it. That's, that's the prophetic word there. Give me some comfort. And so, so you come, and you can tell a weird spirit on somebody when they come, and there's like a controlling thing on it, or if they're given a prophetic word and there's some fear. I'll say, you know, in, in the book of Acts, there's actually a guy that was named Agabus who was a prophet. And you remember Agabus, he actually gave a word that was a little bit like, he told Paul, he's like, Paul, if you go into Jerusalem, you're going to your death. But see, Agabus was not just somebody who was prophesying. He was a prophet. There is a distinction. The Bible teaches that we may all prophesy. That means you are to earnestly, he said, desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Because what he's saying is, is he wants the entire body of believers to see a brother and sister in need or, or, or struggling or needing a lift up. And, and you, he wants the, every person to be able to hear from God in a moment and come in and strengthen their brother and sister with a word from the Lord. He wants everybody to be able to do that. And, and a lot of times it comes right in line with Scripture. It may be a Bible verse that you speak and then you say, man, I know you're going through this time, but I really feel like the Lord is saying right now in this moment that He wants to do and, and, and you just begin to flow with it. I t- but prophecy a lot of time is confirmation. I told you the first time I really experienced it, I was wondering about whether or not I was called to preach, asking God for a sign, and a woman came up and in my ear basically read, read my, the thoughts of my mind and said, right now, the Lord says you're to step out you're to preach his gospel. You're worried that it's not this time and not in this place because there's too many others, she said. And I thought about that. I was, in a, I was in a church. They had like 12 preachers. So I was like, it ain't time. She said, it is time. <laughs> and I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to the Lord. And so she, she had revelation knowledge about what I was dealing with internally. And what did that do? It gave me the strength to step out in faith, to step into my calling. Who knows what would have happened if I hadn't that day? Maybe I'd have postponed it. Maybe the devil would have jumped on my back and beat me down into the ground. But that word came at the right time to bring strength into me. Now, here's what, here, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of love, and then I'm going to try to quit. I have too much fun getting in the word. 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25. Now, let, let, me, let me actually just read uh, the verse before that as well. It says in 23... Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues 
and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I just like that verse. Because they will. Anybody ever spoken tongues and you got called out of your mind? I have. But then it says, verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and notice this verse. This verse drives me crazy. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I believe that the potential of the Holy Spirit moving in this place is not something weird. Let me say this about prophecy, because it's not somebody standing up and saying, Yea, thus saith the Lord. It's not necessarily that, right? When Ty Finn got up here the other day, sometimes Al will get up and speak. Different people in our church will get up and speak, and they, they actually have come to me and said, I feel like I have a word. Or, or not, not only that, they're just, they're just on schedule to get up and do the thing. And I never tell them what to say. They get, they get the freedom to flow with the Spirit, right, whenever they come up and say. But I've noticed that Al's given a word before, I think one time, about shame. And, and, and pe- like it hit some people in the crowd because it, it, it had the prophetic on it. When Ty Finn said the other day when he got up, he had sent, he had sent a message to Andre. It said, hey, tell Clay I've got a word. He felt like while the preaching was going on that he had a word from the Lord. I've got to be honest with you. If all y'all start coming up to me and saying you got a word, I'm going to use my discretion. I may say no right at that particular time. So don't get mad at me if I tell you no. I'm going to see if it bearing witness with what's going on here. And I have that discretion, right, as a leader in the church. It's not always a free-for-all, especially on a Sunday morning. But there are moments, man, when it's time. And you feel the time. So when Ty Finn got up the other morning and he just shared a word about single mothers, dude, there was not a dry eye in the house. It had a prophetic anointing on it. Now, he didn't, you ain't going to call Ty Finn a prophet or anything. Or when Al got up and just shared a word that was on her heart and was dealing, talking to people about shame and things that it went through, it's not like some big... Matter of fact, if people come in and they don't even know what we're talking about, they would not say she prophesied. But it's that natural. It's that natural. It's the Holy Spirit moving a person in a way that they feel like, man, I've got to release this word for the church, for that person. I think somebody the other day came over to you and gave you a prophetic word, didn't it? Did it make you feel better? Did it encourage you? Did it edify you? Were you comforted? It's a prophetic word. Right? I Actually, we need to judge that. We may have to. But my point is, these gifts are available. You know, the Hebrew, the Hebrew language, the word for prophesying is, is to bubble up. Dan, I'm going to ask you to come play so it'll, it'll make me go faster. <laughs> the word is to bubble up. They got worship practice and everything tonight. Somebody put a lid on clay. It means to bubble up, the word prophesy does. So a lot of times when, you, when you're talking about the voice of God, I'll be honest with you. Like, I remember, so, what was his name? Y'all remember James Grady? Any of y'all? Remember? Huh, you remember him? So he was here, because we've had these nights before where we, where we do. And so James comes in one night, and, and we're, we're actually talking about prophecy and the word of knowledge and stuff one night. And we were just giving people, like, the opportunity to step out and say whatever. I mean... And Typhon got a word about a, I don't know if that was the same night. I feel like it was about when Joe Miller was here. He told, he told Joe, he said, we were praying for Joe. He said, Joe, I don't know what to do. He said, I see a, a barber shop pole. 
And Joel said, and he said, I know that's probably nothing. Turns out, Joel's dad was a barber. And God had been talking to Joel about starting to, to be a barber for the kids up at OBI. Boom. Confirmation. Isn't that weird? And, and, and so James Grady comes in. And as soon as I look at James, my heart starts pounding. And I get this, a, a name comes into my mind, Terrence. And I was like, I ain't saying Terrence to him. That's, I, put, I put it away. I said, give me something else, Lord, that can't be it. I, and I didn't, know, I didn't know his name, so I thought his name might be Terrence. So finally, there was a guy here, Chris Highfield, one of our overseers. He was speaking, and he called him up. And so when he called him up, I was, my, my heart was pounding, so I just stood up. And I said, man, let me say this to you. I said, what does the name Terrence mean to you? He put his head down. He said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, well, I probably will. I mean, I just said Terrence in front of a, <laughs> in front of a crowd. He said, uh, he said That's the re- that guy's the reason I'm here. He ratted on me. And I said, well, I believe we maybe need to pray for forgiveness for that guy. Well, and, 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 and when it first happened, he wasn't really open to it out of the gate. But see, James and I developed a relationship over the next few months, and we talked about that, man. We talked to, and it opened his heart to start to deal with the fact that, you know what we talked about? There was a prophetic word that came that said, man, you need to forgive that guy because honestly, even though he did that to you for evil, God is meaning to turn it for good. And it was a prophetic word to him in that moment. And so my point being is when, when people experience that and that's going on in the church, it's not weird and it's not crazy. It really strengthens people, man. And it lets people know, like, can you imagine people experiencing that in a way where they fall down on their face and say, man, God is in these people of a truth. Unbelievers come in and they can't. It's not because Clay preached such a doctrinally sound message. Do you know that lost people don't care about sound doctrine? They don't. Only 20-year-old Christians care about sound doctrine. And y'all are over here, I'm serious. I care about it because I'm your pastor. But lost people don't care about it. They don't care how sound my doctrine is in here on Sunday morning. What they care about is whether or not God meets them. And they experience His love for them. And they experience His presence and it overwhelms them. And so we get to a place where, yeah, I've got this responsibility based on Scripture. Paul told Timothy, he said, take heed to you and your doctrine so that you can save yourself and those that are among you. Amen. I'm taking heed to my doctrine, folks. I'm telling you, this stuff here, I I tell people all the time, when I study, I never only study one position. If it's an argument and people are arguing back and forth about it, I study every angle of it, every argument, the people I disagree with. I got more books of people that I disagree with than ones that I do. Because I I don't want to be uninformed. And so, so my point is, it's important to me, but what's way, way, way more important to me than sound doctrine and sound doctrines up there is God himself manifesting himself among us because you can have all the sound doctrine you want and you can be like the church in Ephesus that had all the sound doctrine but they left their first love and we don't want to be those people amen so here's what we're going to do you can remain seated or you can stand if you like they're going to play maybe one song maybe two and here's what, what I want you to do is be open to the Spirit because I literally want you to take a risk maybe. He may give you a word to speak to a friend. He may put a person on your heart that's in here. He may give you somebody to call when you leave. But I bet you if you're open to the Holy Spirit and He just gives you the slightest impression, 
He may give you a word for somebody. He may want to use you. He may want to speak to you or speak through you. He may move on you to give a testimony. Who knows? But just take these next few moments as we worship to pray and say, Lord, I'm open to you. Close your eyes. Meditate on the Lord. Say, Lord, what would you have to say to me? What do you want to say to me? He may just want to say something to you about yourself, about your situation, to encourage you. But just be open right now. Just bow your heads there before the Lord. And like I said, you can respond. You can stand and worship, whatever you feel like.